0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. A reading from the Epistle to the Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, Thanks be to God.. In 2005, an uh, English professor novelist, writer, David Foster Wallace gave what, I don't know, some people call it, one of the most famous commencement speeches. Uh, don't we hear that every year, right? Someone new gives one. But nonetheless, we keep talking about David Foster Wallace and this particular commencement speech given at Kenyon College. And I, I noticed this year even uh, Business Insider, the online um, the website, said that even for business people, this is the most important commencement speech ever given. And that was this year that they referred to it again. And in 2005, uh, David Foster Wallace said this. He said, In the day to day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. So, if you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, or you'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, parables. It's the skeleton of every great story. But the trick, he says, is keeping this truth up front in our daily consciousness. Worship power And you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you'll need ever more power over those to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect being seen as smart and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They're they're default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that worship is what you're doing. David Foster Wallace was not a Christian, took his life a handful of years ago, suffered from depression his whole life, but he got it. He got worship. He described the biblical view of worship. And at least at this point, he got it because he realized we don't choose whether or not to worship, we just choose what we'll worship. And if you're not choosing what you'll worship, then it doesn't mean you're not worshiping. It just means you're not conscious of what you're worshiping. And so as we enter into a series on worship, it's both gathered, which we'll talk about over the next two or three weeks. And it's the sent reality of what happens tomorrow morning when you're sent out. Are you still worshiping or is this the only time you worship? Well, we're going to talk about these things. But this morning, it's really important before we begin talking about worship as church gathering and worship as church sent, we have to understand the biblical view of worship. What is worship? What kind of observations does the Bible make about the type of worship that you and I experience every day, the type of worship that David Foster Wallace is talking about. So today we're gonna make three observations and the first observation is that we as human beings are wired for worship. We are absolutely wired to worship. Worship is as natural to you and me as breathing and you're doing it right now and you weren't thinking about it until I mentioned it. Now you're thinking about it. And it may sound strange to us because we tend to think or talk about worship as a religious thing or a church thing. And even in church, it might be confusing to us because we've reduced worship to music. Like in other words, worship is what we just did, but that's not what's happening right now, right? There's the stuff before the sermon, which we call worship, and then there's the sermon, and then we worship again. And we do this, and it's just not true. It's At least that's not the way the Bible talks about worship, even corporate worship when we're gathered because biblically speaking, worship is a comprehensive human experience. And it's not just comprehensive because we all do it. It's comprehensive because we all do it, and we're always doing it all the time. That's what I mean by comprehensive. And so every human being, you, me, David Foster Wallace, everyone he was speaking to, is worshiping constantly. And we don't have to be religious to worship. That's what he's getting at. And that's what Paul t- uh, teaches us in all of his writings, and here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, which we just read. If you look with me at our passage today, you see this, Romans 12, 1 and 2. He's argued one long argument from chapters 1 through 11, and he starts chapters 12 here with the word, therefore. And he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He didn't even have to use the word worship for us to understand he's talking about worship because he uses this word offer. If you have the ESV, it says present. We always read from the ESV. This morning, we're reading from the NIV on purpose, just here. And it's because I like it better. And I don't talk about the translations very often. This isn't something that I bring up. ESV is a fantastic translation. NIV is a fantastic translation. But I bring it up because present to us in our ears, it's not the same as offer, right? We offer ourselves to worship. That's, that's the actual biblical language. We don't just present ourselves. Like if I walked up on stage, I presented myself. But to offer myself, I think tells us something more. And so he says, he's urging us to offer our bodies. And he doesn't just mean this. Right, He means our entire person, because if I give you my body, I've actually given you my entire person. That's not controversial. Every commentator will tell you, every study Bible note will tell you. When he says, give your bodies, he means all of you, every part of you. So it's clear he's talking about worship in our verse today. But he's talking to Christians, right? I urge you brothers and sisters. Yet, he's also clear We'll read in a couple of places, but first we'll read in Romans chapter 1 that it's everyone. It's not just Christians who are currently offering themselves to worship. It's everyone. So listen to this. I'm going to, if you have your Bibles, turn back to Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21, but I'm going to read it. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says, For although they knew God, which by the way, what, this? I wish we could preach a sermon on this. What does it mean those who aren't Christians know God? It'd be a great sermon, but not for today. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and here it is, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. So it's not like they said, I'm not going to worship anything. I'm going to go live my life. There was an exchange that happened. It's, I'm choosing, these people in Romans 1, Not to worship God, but creatures or a created thing. So it's an exchange of what to worship. It's not an exchange to worship or not, right? We're wired to worship. So we can sometimes get the wires crossed and we're worshiping the wrong things, but we're still wired to worship. We're always worshiping, Paul says. And he goes on there and he says, um, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now, notice the difference between Romans 12 and Romans 1. So, in Romans 1, rather than offering their bodies to God, which Paul says is our true worship, uh, this they would do out of gratitude, they dishonored their bodies among themselves by offering their bodies to their passions. And so that's the difference. Still worship, still offering your entire person to something. You don't get to choose. If you worship, you get to choose what you worship. And in Romans 1, Paul's talking about people whose wires of worship were crossed, and they exchange one person to worship for other things to worship. And so you see, this is why the Bible, when it talks about sin, the big deal actually isn't sin. We sort of think it is, and if we think the big deal is sin, then we do what author Dallas Willard talks about in the church. We just make Christianity about sin management or behavior management instead of what Paul's talking about, which is idolatry. You see, worship is, false worship is idolatry, okay? So we get to choose what to worship and what we worship will determine how we live, which is why sin matters, but sin is just a symptom of what we're worshiping. And so, worship is giving of our head, heart and hands to that thing which is our highest good. And whatever your highest good is is what you'll ultimately trust in. And whatever you're trusting in there, you will find your God. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like GPS. Think about GPS whether it's on your phone or whether it's a Garmin. What do you what is the main thing in GPS? It's not Turn here, turn here, because that would be meaningless. So in this illustration, that's like sin. That's like the decisions you do. What really matters in a GPS is the destination. You plug in the destination, and what's going to happen? You can just not pay attention in a sense. Right? It's, it's going to turn here, turn here, turn here, and every turn is going to lead you to the destination. And my favorite thing, especially when I kind of know where I'm going once I've figured it out, is to make wrong turns intentionally and watch Siri freak out trying to reroute. Okay, so GPS also does that. GPS will reroute you. But where is it going to reroute you to? Your destination. And so let's talk about this. Let's talk about your worship being false. You can choose to go to church. You can choose to give some money. You can choose to do some good things. Those are turns that you take. Well, ultimately, those turns aren't going to matter because it's still going to take you to the destination of false worship. So you can do some good things, but it doesn't matter unless you change the destination. It's the same way for Christians. We can have the proper destination, and sometimes we'll spend seemingly long times on stretches of road that are taking us away from our destination, away from the kingdom of God. But if our destination is the kingdom of God, we will turn back. We will be recalibrated. We will be rerouted. So it's not about what turns you take as much as it's about what you worship or what the destination is. So you see, our hearts in worship are kind of like that. Your heart is like a honing device that will take you to whatever you love the most. And it just is that way. That's what David Foster Wallace was saying. And that's what Paul is saying. And anything that David Foster Wallace and the Apostle Paul agree on has to be true. If you've ever read anything by David Foster Wallace. And so we see then also that worship is a whole life endeavor. Okay? Whatever you worship, you will give your whole life to. Which is why Paul says, if you're going to offer your bodies, you need to offer all of you to God. Because that is your true and proper worship. When we think about this, this is another way to think about it. It's like GPS. It's also like this. Whatever you appraise as most valuable, then you will ascribe to that thing glory. Then you will arrange your life towards that thing. Okay? Same idea I'm getting at with how worship works. One's the GPS. This is more of a monetary, a value, an economic reality. Whatever you ascribe the most worth to, I'm sorry, whatever you appraise the most worth to, you will then ascribe to that thing glory and then you will arrange your life to pursue that thing, all of your life, okay? That's how worship works. So we're always worshiping. There's always a destination in the GPS. Even if you're just driving along and not paying attention to it, it's always there. It's always beckoning you. And that's why the second observation I wanna make is not just that worship is how we're wired, but also that we are wooed to worship. You see, worship doesn't work on the cognitive level only. We worship what we're wooed towards. And it doesn't matter if it's false worship or true worship. You're still wooed there. So false worship, how do, how do we wooed to false worship? I think we're wooed to false worship by listening to the call of the sirens. Now, not like if an ambulance drives by. That's not the siren I'm talking about. I'm talking about the siren from Greek mythology. They were dangerous creatures that all sailors had to deal with. And when you would sail past the island where all the sirens were, their beautiful voices, and just beautiful voices would woo you in. And you, you almost couldn't help it. So much so that the only way to sail past this island was to stop up your ears so you couldn't hear it or to have someone tie you to the mast of the ship so you couldn't go turn towards the island. That is happening to you all the time. That is happening to me all the time. We're being wooed by the call of a siren. And if we're not being wooed, it's trying to woo us. Always, all the time. This is how humans experience life. Paul says it in Romans 1, 21 through 24, we already read. He said that we're wooed by our Impure desires of the heart. But he says it a different way in Ephesians 2. All right, listen to this. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. By the way, walked in the Bible is how you give your whole life to something. Okay? Another way to talk about walk is discipleship. That's why discipleship is called the way, because you walk on the way. So our whole life Uh, We were walking, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Interesting, right? We can't read Romans 12 and think what Paul is saying in the renewal of our mind is just get your thinking right and everything will be better. Know the right doctrine, everything will be better. We're not thinking things. This isn't thinking thing ism. Okay? The Bible's, it's, the Bible's understanding of humans is much more complex than we realize unless we pay close attention. So even our minds have desires, okay? We all have these appetites. That's why when our minds can be darkened by our foolishness, and then we talk ourselves out of things that we know to be true, or we talk ourselves into things that we know are not true. And so, we were by nature children of wrath. Now, I don't like going to the mall for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons is because I am now aware at how, uh, how much I am drawn to the call of the sirens at the mall. And it's not that I go and just, I can't control myself and buy a lot of things. It's actually worse than that. It's that I leave wanting things that I didn't want before I went. That's, that's the worst thing. Because I could always have buyers remorse and Morrison take them back, right? So that's happened before. <laughs> Recently, in St. Louis, so, so therefore, I, don't take my, I try not to take my kids to the mall. Do I do it? Sure. I try not to go to the mall. Amazon really helps. Okay. <laughs> But recently, we went on a trip, and we were going to an event where I needed black shoes, and I didn't own black shoes for a long time. Chris Moore, thank you for letting me borrow your black shoes. Every time I did a wedding in my black suit, it didn't have black shoes. I appreciate that. So we went to this event, and I bought black shoes finally, but I forgot to order them before we went, so we had to go to a mall. So we walk in. I watch my uh, almost six-year-old daughter then. This was last year. And we walk in, and right when we walk in, to the left, there was a store that was It was a big store, but it was under uh, renovation. And so in the window, there was this huge photo. I mean, it's floor to ceiling, I don't know, 15, 20 feet long, 10 or 12 feet high of these three women with the bright red lipstick on having a really good time. And we walk in, I'm like, okay. So then I look down at Livy and guess what she looks like, like this. She's looking at it. We're kind of walking, and she's tripping over herself looking at this. And so I slapped her on the side of the head. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not saying I've never done that. I'm just saying I didn't do that then. What I did was is, is I kind of distracted her, and I said, hey, hey, come on, and, I, and we stopped. And I, I pointed at the picture, and I said, Livvy, tell me what you see. And she said, I see three women. I said, right, but what do you see about those women? She didn't even pause to think. And she looked at me and she said, they're having a lot of fun. She couldn't even read then. There may have been words on the picture. That wasn't, wouldn't have been the point, right? It wouldn't have been the words that convinced her they were having fun. It would have been the image. You see, she was being wooed from a young age. I was being wooed, not even knowing it that in order to have fun, in order to be beautiful, in order to look good, I must have that, whatever that is. And if you think that's hyperbolic, you don't reflect very often. You know, when I think about this, there are lots of ways I could go, but one of the main wooing things, it's not, it's not okay, we don't tend to think about entertainment when we think about uh, the prince of the power of the air or the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, or children of wrath. We don't tend to think about entertainment, but maybe I can change your mind. So entertainment is affecting you right now. Right now, you and I have been so shaped by entertainment that when you listen to me, you can't turn it off, at least not of your own power. Entertainment turns us all into spectators, And when we're spectators in corporate worship, spectators are consumers, and consumers are critics, and it's insidious. Now, I'm not saying entertainment is is always bad. I'm really not. What I'm saying is we have to understand what it's doing to us. We don't just do entertainment. It does something to us. And so there's a difference between discernment. I'm not saying you should check out. I'm saying, or not be critical in a, in a good sense. That's, the Bible calls that discernment, right? You should discern what I'm saying. You should go read your Bible. There's a difference between critique and discernment. And entertainment culture makes us all into critics. That's why we love Yelp. So we go in a restaurant. Yeah, that place is terrible. Service is bad, whatever. Okay? It's not always bad. But do that every day over and over and over. It forms you. It shapes you. And in a minute, I'm going to tell you why I'm concerned for us, okay? But before I do, let me tell you this. According to the A.C. Nielsen Company recent survey, our recent statistic, the average American watches more than four hours of TV every day. So you're like, some of you are like, what? Some of you are like, what? That's not that much. (laughs) But let me tell you what four hours every day would be. That's 28 hours a week or two months of nonstop TV per year. Now, if you live 65 years, that means if you are the average American, according to this, you'll have spent nine years glued to the television. And in some surveys, 66% of adults regularly use screens while they're watching television. So, commercial board, here we go. Oh, that's cool, right? Over and over and over. So, is watching TV bad? That's not what I'm saying. That's not the point. The point is that watching, doing anything that much does something to you, okay? So what it's doing is it's calibrating your habits and heart to want something. So in entertainment, it's to want comfort and ease. Everything tells you that this is about you. Everything tells you you should be comfortable right now. You should always have what you want. And then it's not even about the content that you're watching. I don't care what you're watching in one sense because that's not my point either. My point is the habit of watching, the habit of consuming like that, that often does something to you. And you don't even know. It does something to me and I don't even know. Like David Foster Wallace said, the trick isn't knowing it. The trick is keeping it in your conscious mind, knowing that it's happening, reflecting upon it. So so some of us, though, we're like, oh, I'm just exhausted. I just want to sit down. I just want to. I can't read, I'm too tired. I can't sleep because sleep is boring. And so, the Proverbs talk about this. Proverbs 24, 33. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with sleep, nothing wrong with rest, nothing wrong with slumber. You know, the, the, the writer of this proverb is telling you, be careful. Ray Ortland Sr., commenting on this verse, said this, your danger and mine is not that we become criminals, but rather that we become respectable, decent, commonplace, mediocre Christians. The 20th century, we'd say now the 21st century, the temptations that really sap our spiritual power are the television, banana cream pie, the easy chair, and the credit card. The Christian wins or loses in those seemingly innocent little moments of decision. And then he says, Lord, make my life a miracle. So it's not that watching TV is wrong. It's not that scrolling Facebook or Twitter or Instagram is wrong. It's that this is a prime example of the wooing effects of the siren voices. What you habitually do does something to you. That's the way worship works. It's crossing the wires. We start worshiping, longing, desiring the wrong things. And whatever you love you worship. Whatever you love, you worship. And you love what you esteem of highest value in your life. So we're not just wooed to false worship, though, we're also wooed to true worship. So if false worship were wooed by the call of the siren, which, by the way, why was the siren so dangerous? Was the siren violent? Did you get to the island and they stabbed you with a spear or something? I mean, that happens in Greek mythology, but not in this instance. no, the thing was is it wooed you towards the island and you shipwrecked on the rocks. You didn't even know it was coming. Just wooed you and wooed you and wooed you and you sink. It's insidious. So if that's the call of the siren to false worship, then what, is, what woos us to true worship? And it's not a call of the siren but the call of the Savior. That's what woos us to true worship. And that leads us to our last observation today as we think about worship in this series, and that is this, we are renewed to true worship. So we're wired for worship, sometimes those wires get crossed, doesn't matter, we're still worshiping, either true or false. We're wooed to worship, it's not mainly a cognitive thing, and in order to worship truly, we have to be renewed. That's what Paul says right here. Look at this, verse 2, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, or do not conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember, we saw that mind isn't merely cognitive. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Why would it matter if you knew God's will? Well, because true worship leads to obedience. He's expecting that you'll actually do it. Right, and the entertainment wooing, by the way, you don't have to do anything. You just have to be a right critic and know the right shows and right language and all of that. That happens in church too, by the way. You just know the right language and you know who's going on. You know this scandal and you know that scandal. As long as you're up today, you kind of feel, I'm a Christian. I got this thing. But we have to be renewed. And in order for this to happen, he tells us, don't be conformed to the world. Now, this is very similar language he's already used in Romans 6. He says this in Romans 6. If you have your Bible, turn this way, back. Romans 6. I love that sound. I hear some. I don't even have my Bible up here. Okay, so verse 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin. Doesn't that sound similar? Do not offer yourself to, what does he say? Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from life to death and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And of course I said that wrong. You've been brought from death to life. Don't be nervous. So this transfer in the Bible, anywhere you look, this transfer from life from from death to life is final. You can never go back. If you've been transferred by the Lord Jesus Christ from death to life, you will never die. Ever. There's nothing you can do because you didn't transfer yourself. There's nothing you can do to untransfer yourself. But even when we've been transferred, we still are not immune to the call of the siren. But the call of the Savior is always louder. That's what Jesus says. He says, my sheep will hear my voice and they will come to me. So in Colossians 3, Paul says the same thing. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, it's false worship. It's a worship problem. That's, again, it's not about the sin. You sin because you worship the wrong things, he says. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. There's that language again of walking our whole lives along the way towards destruction or towards life. He says, when you were living in them, those practices, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So you see, I could have gone to a lot of places, not just Romans 12, and it's very clear. We're wired to worship. Sometimes those wires get crossed. It's not the change of our mind that changes what we worship. It's what we're wooed to. It doesn't matter if it's true worship or false worship. And those of us who have been transferred from death to life will be wooed ultimately by the call of the Savior because that will be the destination in our GPS. And so if there are practices to the old self, are there practices to the new self? Because you should really care if there are. I should really care if there are. And gratefully, Paul goes on, same chapter, a little bit further down, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. We have to practice compassion. You think it comes naturally? No. Practice compassion, practice kindness, practice humility, practice gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Note something with me. What are all these things? Kindness, compassion, forgiveness. They are all mercies of God. What does our text say? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. There's another reason why I went with NIV. Not by God's mercy, in view of God's mercy. Pull God's mercy up to your face. When you feel that call from the siren, right? It's wooing you. Recall what? Not willpower, but the mercies of God. That's what we should recall. That's what I must recall. You have no hope apart from the mercies of God in life and in each moment of temptation. And is it not in the life? of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, that we see these virtues lived out perfectly. Yes, Jesus' primary emotion while on earth was compassion. Just read the Gospels. It was compassion. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Jesus was kind and meek and lowly. Jesus was so forbearing and forgiving of the disciples, he was even forgiving of his enemies. And then this perfect, beautiful, holy, beloved, only begotten Son of God climbs up on the cross and dies the death you and I deserved, and takes our sin and guilt upon himself. And in return, we get life. Those are the mercies of God. And the only way it's possible for us to offer our lives as living sacrifices is that the giver of all life offered his self as a sacrifice unto death. And he offered himself as a sacrifice unto death, took our place so that we now can offer ourselves not to earn anything, but out of a response in true worship. And so it's gazing upon the mercies of God that transforms us. You see, that's why this sermon series, we're gonna talk about public worship. Where else in your week do do we most profoundly see the mercies of God? We gather together, we sing together, we pray together, we hear the word preached, we respond with song and giving of our money and the sacraments. This is the cornerstone of a Christian's week. It's the cornerstone of the rhythm of seeing God's mercy. It's clear in the scriptures. All of life is worship in the broad sense, and yet do not forsake gathering. Why? Because in this time, God has appointed that Jesus is with us right now. He is present with us. And when we behold his mercies through the preaching of the word and through singing, that we will see him in a way that you will not see him reading your Bible by yourself. But of course we'll read our Bibles by ourselves. Of course we will. But this is something else. And then guess what? This called worship, where does it end? Not with, oh, yay, this is for us, all right. No, we are sent because we're blessed by the mercies of God and we're sent out on mission to worship for the blessing of others in our callings, and in our vocations, and in our neighborhood, everywhere. And so this series is about worship, but it's about worship gathered and what happens here and worship sent. You see, think about a wheel, a bike wheel, right? took my bike to the shop recently. They spin the wheel and it wobbled. Do you know what they call it whenever they align the wheel? They say they trued the wheel. And you see, among other things, when we come together every week, we're all wobbly. We're all wobbly and we all need trued. We need recalibrated, rehabituated. You wanna know what story you live in? You live in the true story and so do I. And we need to be reminded and renewed in that because we're all wobbly and we all need trude. So we're sent out. Let's pray together. Father, we pause now to admit that so often we are wooed by the voice of a siren and not the voice of a savior. We admit that Sometimes we appraise you as not as valuable as other things. And we ask that you would forgive us. And we're so grateful that in Jesus, you do. But we're also grateful you don't leave us there. You recalibrate us. You true us by your spirit. As we behold the mercies of God, we then can't help but live in response to those everywhere, all the time, with all of our life. So now, as we respond, please, with surgical precision, speak to our hearts exactly where we need to be trued, exactly where we need to be rehabilitated, rehabituated, recalibrated. Call us back to you, Jesus, our shepherd. It's in your name.